0: Hey there, I want to welcome you to the first ever episode of this podcast. Uh, I just want to start uh, by warning you that today's episode is on a topic that may not be suitable for young children. I'm going to cover some talki- topics that include torture, abuse, demon, demonic encounters, and, and addiction. So, listener to discretion is advised. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the flagship episode of this podcast. For those who don't know me, my name is Kayton, and I will be the host of this podcast, and the near future will be joined by my co-host Joey, but as with anything, the enemy has been in full force attack mode with both of us since he and I met each other to, to put this thing together. So please pray for us as we face the attacks, so we can overcome them by the grace of God. For my first episode, it's just going to be me telling my story of what eventually led me to where I am now. The story surrounds my favorite person that has been in my life, my nana. I want to dedicate this to her because without her, I wouldn't be where I am. She's the strongest person that I've ever met. And even though her life was a literal hell, she never turned from God. And that has been my inspiration ever since this happened. So now I officially welcome you to the first episode of the Metal Bible Podcast. So as I mentioned, my name is Caton and I am your host. Now, the whole point of this podcast is to talk about the most metal book ever created, the Bible, and learning how to defend it. But for this first episode, I'm gonna talk about my life and what has brought me here because I've had some some life experiences that I think can help a lot of people. I grew up in a Baptist church. I was born in a little town called Cleburne, Texas, when my parents were kind of in the middle of moving from a town called Borger, Texas. It's up in the Panhandle, Texas, and if you didn't know about it, you would not know that it existed. It's a little crappy town that everything closes down at about six o'clock, and that's where my grandparents were. That's where my dad grew up and my mom grew up, but they moved down here. When I was two years old, or I wasn't even two, my father got sick. And they took him to the hospital, and within a few weeks he had died of leukemia. My mother was obviously devastated. She had me, who was uh, I was not even two, and then my brother, who was five at that time. And she was pretty lost, you know, as you can imagine. But soon after that, she met the guy who has raised me, who also adopted me, and, and I call him my dad, because he's the one who raised me from the age of three on, and so I was brought up in a a Baptist church, a little church called Hallmark Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, My dad was a deacon. My mom and dad, I remember growing up, they were teaching in, you know, the kids department and then in the youth department, and even now, my dad will still teach in uh, the adult classes. And so I grew up in that church as a, a leader. I was in the youth department. I, you know, started playing guitar. I rapidly got pretty good at it. So I started leading, and then, you know, I, I started leading all of the time. We would have our own camps where I would lead the music, and. There was even a time in my senior year where we traveled around the country and uh, played at a bunch of different youth camps to lead the music. But that entire time, it, it was it was a lie. Outwardly, I was I was playing the part, but you know, behind the scenes, off and on, I was I was doing drugs. I started doing cocaine at the age of 14. My my older brother, before I, before we went to school, my ninth grade year. I, I did cocaine right before school. And, you know, I, I, was, I was hooked. I didn't get really addicted at that time, but, I, but that's, that's what I wanted to do. And I hid it from everybody. Then, you know, around later on, I, I had confessed and had stopped doing that and decided that I was going to go to Bible college. I was actually in a band at that time, a band that was called Samson's wig. And we were kind of like a pop punk to early two thousands. We were a mixture of a bunch of different styles, uh, but pop punk, we had some metal in there and we actually got pretty big locally. Uh, you know, we got to where every concert we'd have, we'd have like three, 400 people on it. We had some songs, we had a song playing on the radio, we entered this competition, or one of our fans had entered us into this competition uh, to play in front of like 15,000 people at the Alamo Dome, uh, and we won. Instead of doing that, I uh, I decided I was going to go to Bible college. So I helped them make CD, and then I went to Bible college. My second year at Bible college, I had I had a rough time, and I felt like, a lot of people there that were my friends had turned their backs on me. And I hated that. I hated, I hated the school. It's a very legalistic school. They would, I would get fined for not shaving. <laughs> if you seen my face, you know, it's, I, I don't like to shave but we couldn't go to see movies you know there was it was super super strict like 1950s level baptist bible college in springfield missouri and that legalism just made me hate god i left baptist bible college after getting kicked out in 2004 i left there a drug addicted atheist and when i say that like i i left there And I remember I loaded up all my stuff, and and the first thing I did whenever I got home was I called up my friend that I had known for a long time that that I know did drugs, and I met up with him before I even got home. Met up with him, got high, and then went and met my parents for pizza. That next year, I got heavily, heavily into drugs. I mean, about as, as heavy as you can get. I, I attempted suicide multiple times. I should be in jail or dead right now. But by the grace of God, I'm not. During that time, I can look back and I see how God guided me through that and kept me alive and out of jail. When I when I absolutely, I remember I got I got searched by a cop. Like he patted me down while I was high as a kite on ecstasy or shrooms or something like that at the time. I don't remember. But my pupils were huge. He was looking me right in my eyes and searching me. And I had enough methamphetamine on me to put me in jail for a very, very long time. And pills at the same time. And I remember this this cop didn't find any of it. And, And I have no explanation as to why he didn't other than God protected me through that. Even though I hated him. I hated God. I hated the people. I I had such horrible church hurt that I just couldn't take it anymore. So I ended up going to rehab. And uh, I was actually in rehab with an ex-Dallas Cowboy quarterback. Just a little side note there. But after I got out of rehab, I was still mad at God. But I was searching again for Him instead of just completely turning away from Him. I, I was I wasn't actively searching, but I, in my back of my mind, it was always like, "Hey, you know, you know, this is true." And if you fast forward, I, I got married. Uh, I got married to an atheist. Uh, That didn't work out very well. Uh, We had a couple of kids together. And so you fast forward to 2016, or 2013, sorry. In 2013, my grandmother was, uh, she was my favorite person on planet earth. And and at this point I'd, I'd gotten remarried, had my son with my wife now, uh, he was about one when all of this started. You know, she grew up, or she didn't grow up there, but she she lived in in this town called Borger, in the Panhandle of Texas, for close to fifty years with my grandfather. And my grandfather's a pastor. I grew up going down there every summer or going up there uh, every summer, and um, being around them. And and I just. I just remember how wonderful my grandmother was. She's a very godly woman. She would always pray with me and for me. When I was going through all of the problems with drugs, she would call me all of the time, and she had no judgment towards me at all. She was just, Kate, I'm praying for you and I love you. And turn to God, turn to God. praying for me all of the time. But in 2013, she broke her hip. She fell and, and hurt herself. That's what started one of the most difficult times of my entire life. Because I'd, I'd known that my grandfather was not a, a good man behind closed doors um, because I'd seen some signs as, I, as I'd gotten older but I had no idea how horrible he was until, I, until after he died. My grandmother had broken her hip, and she was basically bedridden. And my grandfather, whenever you know, when we were around, he would—he was—he was, he was actually very good to her. And I was like, "Oh wow, this is kind of different from what I'd seen before out of him." But little did I know that uh, behind closed doors, my grandmother's life was was hell. And at this point in my life, I'd. I'd come back closer to God, you know, I'd started studying apologetics and looking for all of the answers that, uh, to the questions that I had growing up that I never really got the answers to, which is what started my passion for apologetics. And, and I don't blame my parents for not knowing the answers. You know, we didn't have the internet and all of the resources that we have now. But that's when I really started looking into it. But that's when the enemy really came after me. So I remember starting to suspect some things were going on because, you know, I had a, I had a family and I couldn't always go see her because she lived, you know, six, seven hours away. And I had a job and, and kids and you know it's it get it becomes more difficult as you as you become an adult to travel to go see long distance grandparents. But I wish I would have. I found out that my grandfather was the most evil man. I mean it's it, it was a horror show for my grandmother. It was November in 2016. I got the phone call that my grandfather, my grandfather had died. Like all of a sudden, uh, it's something like his stomach had ruptured, and he was supposed to be going to a to do a funeral as a pastor that day. So people were actually coming to look for him, which is the only reason why my grandmother was found alive. Um, you know she had. It was like turning the lights on and off and on and off just to try to get somebody's attention because my grandfather had just died right in front of her. But when she was found, it, it was found out that the conditions that my grandfather had her in are worse than anything I could have possibly imagined. He had her in this room by herself, no clothes, barely any food. She weighed like 65 pounds when she was found. Her hair had basically turned into dreadlocks because he wasn't washing it, cutting it, nothing. He wasn't brushing it or anything like that her fingernails were several inches long and curling over. He wouldn't give her water. uh, Just barely to keep her alive. And because she had broken her hip and couldn't move and he hadn't gotten her out of bed, her muscles had atrophied so badly that they had tightened up so much that her, her, her legs had fused closed to where she was permanently sitting on her own feet and was an agonizing pain all of the time. For three years, my own grandfather, who is a pastor Left my nana in a room, no air conditioner, no TV, no radio, no nothing. For three years. Every time that I would call I was suspecting things because he wouldn't he wouldn't ever leave her side. He'd always have the phone and I would call, he would answer, and then she would get on the phone and I would ask her, Is he teach, is he treating you okay? And she Oh yeah, yeah, everything's fine, everything's fine. Because he was he was abusing her. And it got so much worse. You know, she, she, she actually got to spend the last month of her life surrounded by the people who loved her. My grandfather died alone. Surrounded by no one. You know, I, I had suspected for a while that... Some things were going on more than what, more than what, what my Nana would tell me or, or any, or anything. I just, I just knew it. Couldn't prove it, but I knew it because at one point we actually came to see my grandmother in the middle of all this, After my son was, he was about, he was about one because he was walking and I wanted her to meet her grandson. And I remember this is the moment that I started thinking something really bad is going on because she was sitting in her wheelchair in the living room at at their house. And we were talking about going, going to go out to eat because she hadn't, she hadn't been out. And I said, Hey, let's, let's all go get something to eat. You know, Nana, I will carry you on my back if I have to, to get you out to the car. I don't care. I just want you to be able to go somewhere. And she was like, "Yeah, yeah, let's do that." And my grandfather looked at me and he said, "No, we're not going to do that." And I'll tell you right now: had my dad not been there and pulled me away, I would I would have killed my grandfather at that moment. He pulled me outside. My dad did, and he said, Caitlin, that's this. This is not a good idea." Because he saw he saw how furious I was. Because I knew. I knew something was going on. I couldn't prove it, but I knew it. So after he died, it was all confirmed. You know, I actually had called Adult Protective Services on him. Uh, but my grandfather was loved by everyone. He was a pastor of a very, very small church, but he knew Every single person, when I say this, I mean this literally, he knew every person in the Tri-County area by name because he'd either done a wedding or a funeral of theirs or somebody that they knew. And he, he had a very good memory. So he knew everybody by name. So when I called Adult Protective Services, they sent people out there. He knew them. And they knew him, or so they thought. And so they'd show up, and he would... He'd play the part of a nice, wonderful, smiling pastor and they'd leave. But behind closed doors, my Nana was, was, was in hell. So again, after he died, I went up there to see her. That's when I saw her in that condition. All the condition of the house and the room that she was in. It, it was like something out of a horror movie. The only thing that was missing is is, is you didn't have her chained up because she couldn't go anywhere. There was human feces all over the bed that she was on. There was just a mattress, no blankets, no nothing. When she was found she was naked. He wouldn't take her to the bathroom. Barely gave her any food. But then I found out why. As we were going through some stuff at their house, found some. uh, I found a letter that my nana had written, talking about how my grandfather had cheated on her with seventeen different women. Seventeen, one seven. As a pastor. Cheating her 17 times. She confronted him about it and he beat her. He beat her. He abused her. And he was supposed to be a man of God. And he was with somebody at that time because she had given him a ring that I found. And he was trying to kill my grandmother. He tortured her slowly to death for three years. Now, God didn't let him win that. God took him before, but she died within a month of her being found because of the injuries that she sustained from him. He had planned on killing her and riding off into the sunset with his girlfriend. And we thought for a long time that it was just because my, my grandparents didn't didn't have a lot of money. Because, you know, he was a pastor of a very, very small church. The only money he would make was from funerals and, and weddings. But somehow <laughs> we found out that he had amassed over a million dollars. That he had hidden and kept from her it kills me to this day that he could have used that and she could have she could have lived another five ten years maybe in a wheelchair maybe walking a little bit i'll never know but he killed her he my my grandfather who is a pastor murdered my grandmother by slowly torturing her to death over the span of three years. My favorite person. When I tell you this was the sweetest woman you would ever meet, there was not anybody who hated her. She was such a wonderful, wonderful person. Married to somebody who was the most evil person. And I'll tell you, it's it's very weird. I don't I don't know what to call this because I don't know about genera- generational curses or, or anything like that. I don't I don't know how to answer that question. But I will tell you this: everybody on my grandfather's side of the family, everyone has very serious demon issues. My grandfather, obviously. My aunt left her husband and her two kids when they were young. She left them to go be with a drug dealer. My dad, before he died, he 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 had a lot of issues. Some things happened that, that made us have to move down here. That's, that's the whole reason why we moved to where uh, to to the Fort Worth area. Now, before he died, he he had gotten he he'd made his life right. He'd worked on it, and he was he was trying to do the right thing, but but he got leukemia and he died. My uncle, on the same side, is such a selfish person that he actually lived nearby where my grandmother lived, and and he knew about all that stuff, and he did nothing because he's too busy with his own life. I haven't spoken to him in in years. My brother. My older brother from the same family. I haven't seen him in three years. He's he's homeless. I think he lives out of hotels. I left his family because of, of drugs, alcohol. He's the most serious addict I've ever seen in my life. Every single person in that family, every single one has very serious issues. And it almost took me too. Because what happened after my grandmother died, what happened after that was the scariest moment of my life, but ultimately changed everything. I remember when my grandmother was in the hospital. I remember I went up there and I stayed with her all night long. I just stayed and talked to her. Because I knew she wasn't going to make it. And she was in a ton of pain. And she was in and out of consciousness. But I remember talking to her when she was somewhat able to speak still. And I asked her, I said, Nana, why didn't you tell me what was going on? I, I, I could have saved you. I would have saved you. And she said something I'll never forget. She said, because I didn't want you to hate him. oh my goodness, was she right. Because I'll tell you right now, I hated him. I hated him and it nearly destroyed me. Because after she died, I lost it. I didn't, I was so angry, but her words stuck with me and her words are ultimately what ended up bringing me back because after that, I started drinking heavily, I started smoking weed every day, all day, I didn't leave the couch, I just drank and I smoked and I stayed on the couch I did nothing else for months. We were living in this house. But but that's when the demonic things started happening. I'd had like sleep paralysis before. When me and my wife had first gotten together, I had a pretty scary experience with it. I had these like three beings like standing behind me and I was wide awake and Uh, you know, I was, but I was on the couch. I couldn't move. I could only breathe. And the only thing I could get out was my, I barely move my mouth. So the only thing I could say was like, jeebus because I couldn't say the S sound. When I did, it, it stopped. Uh, but that paled in comparison to the, to what happened when, uh, after my grandmother had died. I remember I fell asleep on the couch. And I remember waking up to that. I don't know if you've ever had sleep paralysis. It's the most terrifying feeling ever. And up until this moment, I just thought it was all in my head. You know, cause I've done some research on it and I watched a couple documentaries on it. And, you know, I just thought, you know, it's just in my head. Something weird is going on in my brain. But I woke up one day, I couldn't move. And I saw what I thought was my wife in her living room, just walking. Couldn't really see the face. My wife, she's got long, uh, dark hair. You know, it was, was walking, and it got right up on my face. And I realized it wasn't my wife, it was this very evil presence. I was terrified and it got right in my face and it scared the crap out of me. What happened next was worse because I watched it walk off and down the hall towards where my wife was with our son in our room. And I'm not kidding you, I wouldn't have believed you if you told me this happened to you. But the next thing I know, my wife is running out of that room with our son and shaking me to wake me up. Saying, Kate, I need you to get up right now. I just saw something hovering over our son. And I had just watched that happen. I just watched This thing going down the hall towards my wife. She had no idea that had just happened to me. She had no idea. She wasn't asleep. She wasn't having sleep paralysis. That scared me like I've never been scared before. It was at that moment I realized I needed to change. And I started to look back. I started to look at what happened with my grandma and running over those things in my head. Because I hated him. I hated him. I hated him. And I didn't want to forgive him. I absolutely hated everything that he did. But me hating him did nothing to him. But it almost destroyed me. It almost killed me. I was having, I had ulcerative colitis, and I was having flare-ups all the time. I get sick all the time, where my stomach was just horrible, horrible pain. I had awful, awful problems with that. And I'll get into that story another time, how that went away, but. The amount of demonic oppression that I had during that time, just from the sheer hatred that I had. And I've never hated anybody like that. It was, it was, it was bad. It was, it was evil. The amount of hatred that I had. And I, you know, I felt justified. And and, you know, he was evil. But that hatred that almost destroyed me. So I looked back at when I was talking to my grandmother. And I, I said, Why didn't you tell me what was going on? She said, I didn't want you to hate him. That stuck with me. And in that moment, I forgave him. Forgiveness has nothing to do with the other person who hurt you. If, you're having, if you've had horrible things happen to you or somebody that you love, forgiveness is not for that person. Forgiveness is for you. That is why God tells us to forgive. Because holding on to things, whether you're justified or not, they will eat you up. That was when I finally got back into church because I'd gone off and on over the years after I left Bible college, just kind of out of a a duty. I felt I needed to go to church, but I, I didn't, I wasn't into it. I just came because I felt bad if I didn't go. It wasn't until that moment that I realized that I need it. I need that. I need God. I need him in my life. I struggled with depression, anxiety, substance abuse, my whole adult life. I just recently, over the last several years, finally stopped. I finally stopped smoking weed. because I still justified it. I justified it to myself because it was helping me with my depression, but all it was doing was making things worse. And I'll tell that story another time too, because it was it was rough. It was a hard thing for me to, to get through But it was necessary. But the one thing that I can tell you that I learned from all of this is when I look back on what happened to my grandmother and I see all of the horrible, horrible things that she went through and not one time did she turn away from God. And there I was complaining about all of my problems. that I I caused myself. And so I look back, all that she went through. I can't imagine going through that. Being with somebody for that long, being abused for that long, and for it to end in complete terror. When we went to my when we went to my grandfather's funeral my nana didn't shed a single tear. In fact, I remember looking at her when she was looking at his casket. And I saw the look on her face and it was a look I'll never forget. It was the look of I win when I overcame you. And that determination that she had is what kept her going. She lived for her grandkids and her great-grandkids. And she held on just long enough to see us one more time before she died. And I also remember at my grandfather's funeral, all of the people that came up to me to talk to me about how wonderful my grandfather was and how much of an impact he'd had on their life as a pastor. It was instrumental in their salvation. Now I can't tell you how hard it was for me to hear those things, knowing the things that I had even known at that time, because I'd seen the condition that my grandmother was in. I didn't know everything yet, but I knew a lot. And there were a lot of people at that funeral, in that small town. There was a lot of people that came, because he was loved by everyone. I didn't tell anybody me and my brothers just kind of looked at each other like, yeah, if only you knew. But I didn't want to be the one that ruined somebody's uh, somebody's salvation through helping them realize what an evil man my grandfather was. I didn't want to be that person. But that was extremely difficult for me to hear How wonderful somebody is that just, that had just seen his victims, the way his victim looked, and his victim was his own wife, who he kept in silence from the threat of more abuse. I tell you all of this to let you know that yes, sometimes God allows us to go through horrible things. God allows people that we love to go through horrible, horrible things. But I can guarantee you, for my Nana, if she were to know the outcome that this would have, the impact that it would have on me and my faith, she'd do it all over again. I know I feel the same way about my kids. I I tell God all the time, if, if what is required of me is that I have to go through hell for my kids and eventually my grandkids to know you, Put me through that fire every time. Let me be the one that they look to. And they look back on and they say, wow, the faith that he had is the reason why I am where I am right now. I know that my grandmother right now She's in a better place. She's in not just a better place, she's in the best place. She is seeing Jesus face to face. And while I was sitting there complaining and, and being angry, she's worshiping at the feet of God. Trauma is going to happen in our lives. Trials, tribulations, All of those things are going to happen. Sometimes it's going to be unbearable. God will give you things that you cannot handle, despite what people say all of the time, that God won't give you things. God will absolutely give you things you can't handle because he wants you to rely on him. In my life, when God takes all of my distractions from me. It's because I know that he wants me to solely rely on him because that is the best way for me to get through it. That's the best way for me to grow in the way that will be beneficial to me in the long run. You may not see why you're going through the things that you're going through right now. You may not see it for a very long time. You may not ever see it. My grandmother never got to see it. She never got to see why she went through what she went through. But I can guarantee you that if you knew the reason why that God had you going through these things, you wouldn't change it. Because the reason that we go through these things for a few different reasons. For our own benefit, now or or at some point in the future, or for the benefit of others. Sometimes both. But nothing that you go through is meaningless. None of it is meaningless. And if I can get you to grab one thing from this podcast, it's that. That nothing you go through is meaning. One of the favorite things that God loves to do is to take what the enemy has meant to destroy you and to turn it back around for something that is good and shove it right back in his face. Because you're a better person because of what he tried to do to you. Every good and perfect thing comes from God. Sometimes good and perfect things come at the end of really, really bad things. So if you've been hurt by people in the church, understand you will be hurt by people in church. There's no getting around it. I left the church because I was hurt by so many people. And it took me forever to finally realize that those people are just sinners in need of a savior just like me. Yes, even people at Bible college are sinners in need of a savior. There is none who is perfect. No one. But we have to be able to move past those things. We have to be able to forgive Even when they, especially when they don't deserve it. You don't deserve forgiveness for the things that you've done. Yet God forgives you. And forgets about it. As far as the east is from the west. Is removed from it. Because his son laid down his life for you. Sometimes there will be people in the church who claim to be believers who are not who are evil behind closed doors, like my grandfather. I highly doubt that he was actually a saved person because a saved person doesn't do the things that he did. But that, that has nothing to do with whether or not I need to forgive If you have something going on in your life right now, if you have somebody that has hurt you deep, the first thing you need to do is to forgive them. This doesn't mean you forget it. This doesn't mean that the pain goes away. It doesn't mean that you automatically trust this person. What it means is that you have decided forgiveness is the only way for you to move on. Because you have to. This is why God says forgiveness is always necessary. 70 times 70 it means an infinite number of times. There should never be a time where you do not forgive somebody, no matter what. Because God forgives you no matter what you do. I want to thank you for listening to the first episode of this podcast. I've got one more thing for you. This story from my grandmother, is uh, it's been extremely difficult to tell. It's a very rough story for me to live through again. But I find that it is extremely important and very helpful for people to hear about uh, people being able to move through extremely tough things. I've got one more thing for you. Uh, Over the last couple of days, I've, I've written a song. Um, Because this talking about this story has really just inspired me to do so. Um, My grandmother was the greatest person that I've ever known. And I hope that her story will continue to help other people in the way that it helped me. Even if it helps just one person. I'm going to be completely satisfied with this. But here is a new song that I just wrote. It's called Don't You Take Her From Me. And it is one of my favorites. So here you go.